Thanks, Abby. Uh, we're beginning a new series in Ezekiel this morning, and my suspicion is that none of you were reading Ezekiel with your Cheerios this morning. It's not a commonly read book in the Bible, and yet very significant and I think timely for our community and for this moment in history. So please join me in prayer as we prepare to receive God's word. Father, thank you. Thank you that we're gathered the privilege of gathering here and listening for your voice. We trust, pray, and ask that your Holy Spirit would now teach us. In Christ's name, amen. There's a theme that kind of runs throughout all the prophets of order, disorder, reorder. Life's going along, order, bam, something happens, disorder, and we need to reorder our lives in some significant way. So when I was out backpacking this last weekend with our first ever Vision Quest outing here from Bethany, People were doing, uh, we took a, my wife and I took a group of five out hiking. Uh, where we went, it was colder than anticipated. Last weekend was way below normal in terms of weather. And so we camped where it had just snowed the night before and there was frost on the ground uh, the next morning. So this created a beautiful illustration for order, disorder, reorder. In the sense that you crawl into your sleeping bag about 8 p.m., 9 p.m., and then you wake, that's order, and you wake up at one in the morning, and you're really cold, and you need to pee. (laughs) That's disorder. Because you go, man, if I get out of my bag, I'm even colder. I don't want to get out of my bag. So you stay in your bag, and you have an internal argument for about an hour, so you finally decide, no, I am going to actually get out of my bag and, and, and pee. And you get out of your bag, and you're freezing cold, and it's painfully cold. But then you're relieved, and you put on even a warmer jacket, and you get back in your bag, and life's better than it could ever be in the world. <laughs> Order, disorder, reorder. And so when you're, when you're in the midst of disorder, you're like this, man, I'm suffering, but I can't end the suffering without more suffering. But if I'm willing to enter into more suffering, I'll end the suffering. But if I resist suffering, I'm going to continue to suffer. I mean, that's Ezekiel in a nutshell right there. But we're going to unpack that today and in the weeks ahead. Because this is really the story of the Christian life. And the prophets in Israel, over and over again, it's this order, disorder, reorder story story. And Ezekiel is motivating us in our time of disorder to, con- to do the right thing, which is going to require courage, and enter into reorder. So kind of we ask a question here. Why, like, if Ezekiel is about suffering, why are we suffering? And maybe you're suffering personally. Why am I suffering? Why are we suffering as a community? Why is our culture falling apart? How do we respond to suffering? What resides on the far side of suffering? What does all this say about the character of God? So all that's here in this text. Now, uh, Ezekiel 1, 1, 2, 8 through 3, 3, what Abby read, I want to give you a context. Ezekiel appears on the scene at a very specific time and place, 30th year, 4th month, 5th day of the month. Ezekiel was 30 years old, and when he begins to speak, he's in Babylon. He's Jewish, he's a priest. He ought to be in Jerusalem, doing his priestly duties, but Israel has been hauled off into captivity. 
It's called the Babylonian captivity. It's a historical thing. It happened. So if you know the history of Israel, Israel was a nation, then they divided two nations, then the Assyrians swept down from the north, they conquered the, the northern kingdom of Israel, Jerusalem and Judah remained in the south, then later uh, the Babylonians swept down, conquered the Assyrians, conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and continued south to conquer Jerusalem and carry them, carry them captive, right? So Israel, uh, they've been divided, and now uh, Israel's captive by the river in Babylon. And if you remember the old uh, Godspell movie or musical, there's a song in there uh, about by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept because our tormentors were tormenting us, saying in Babylon, sing us the songs of Zion. Do you remember that song? Maybe you do. Uh, and, and they're like this, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Like everything that we love, gone. We've lost our freedom, we've lost our national identity, we've lost our financial security. Uh, we're at the bottom. Disorder. We had order, that was disorder. And it's right there in the midst of that disorder that Ezekiel has this vision and begins his ministry. We'll look at the vision of chapter one next week, but this morning we want to look at his call to ministry. But before we do that, I'll just ask, does disorder apply to today? Do you think? Do you think? I mean, anyone? I think it does. I think it applies today. I mean, we are an incredibly divided nation. More than, in my opinion, more than any time in my adult life I remember. Racism, black, white, uh, financial stuff, political stuff, left, right, rich, poor, 1%, 99%. The church is divided. Emergent, traditional, orthodox, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, progressive, open and affirming, closed and denying, everything. And beyond these elements, there are other signs of loss and di disorder. Like just culture, if you look at the culture, in 2005, about 30,000 Americans committed suicide. Last year, it was uh, uh, 47,000. Rate of suicide has just been steadily rising. New book out entitled The Stressed Years of Their Lives is about university students who are suffering epidemic proportions of anxiety, depression, loneliness, body image issues. Child hunger in our own wealthy nation, prevalent. The number of people within $400 of not having enough money to pay their bills is at record levels. And then, that, then, let's not even get started talking about climate change and water and cancer rates. And if you think, if you're sitting here, you're like this, nah, these things don't apply to me. I have in Seattle, we have clean water, I have a good job. I pay, uh, I, I pray every day. I pay my taxes. I vote for good values. Like, if you think this doesn't apply to you, then you're part of the problem too, as Zeal will show us. Because you can't just pull yourself out of your culture and live in a bubble. That's dangerous. So, Ezekiel, right at this time of disorder, is intended to shake us awake and make us part of the solution around part of the problem. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so the text shows us this morning three ingredients that are needed in Ezekiel's life if he's to function as a person of wisdom and hope in, the, in an age of foolishness and despair. 
He, first of all, needs to embody the Spirit. He needs to receive the Spirit. He needs to invoke courage. He needs to live uh, courageously. And uh, third, he needs to eat truth. Uh, right? Embody the Spirit, invoke courage, eat truth. Those are three things we're going to look at this morning. And what's true for Ezekiel is true for us. So we, like Ezekiel, need to, first of all, embody the Spirit. So look at Ezekiel chapter 2. And if you don't know where Ezekiel is uh, in the Bible, if you turn to the Psalms, like if you open your Bible, I learned this as a kid, open about the middle, you probably hit the Psalms, then head right just a little bit toward the New Testament. Because on the far side of the Psalms in the Old Testament is, are the prophets, right? So you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. He's one of the major prophets, but they're only called major because they're long. They're long-winded. Minor prophets, they said it and left. Major prophets, they speak at Bethany. We just keep going and going and going, right? So here we go. Chapter 2, God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, stand on your feet, I'll speak with you. And as he spoke, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. So notice the order. God says to Ezekiel, first, stand up, and then uh, speak. And then this is what it says. Uh, as he was speaking to me, the Spirit entered me, and then I stood up. I think that's significant. Stand up! But even before you do, the Spirit enters you, thus empowering you to, to stand up. We'll just start there, right? So remember, Psalm 137, verse 1, Ezekiel sitting by the rivers of Babylon, and Psalm 137 is where it says, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept, so he's there with the rest of Israel. They're captive, they're afraid, they're experiencing loss. The life has been sucked out of them and God comes and says, stand up. I know you're in the midst of suffering and loss. I know you're in the midst of disorder. I know that you're frustrated. I know your world has been undone, but I'm gonna ask you in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of your own sickness, in the midst of your own disorder, in the midst of your own chaos, I'm gonna ask you to stand up and become part of the solution. Don't wait until your life is fixed to start serving Jesus. That's what this text is saying. And so uh, when things uh, get bad, there's a, always a tendency in our lives to cocoon. Do you remember after kind of 2001 uh, uh, and what we call 9-11, post 9-11, people are just kind of staying home and cocooning. It's like, oh, I don't know what to do, but I know one place that's safe, my house. And so people were, they, people were withdrawing, and here God is saying to Ezekiel, listen, in this time of disorder, don't withdraw into your own little private world. It's exactly here where your voice is a voice of hope and wisdom and justice is needed. Stand up right now. And if you look back through history, there's always been a few who stand up in the midst of chaos. Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood against the idols of nationalism when Germany was in the midst of a meltdown in the 1930s. St. Francis stood against the idols of uh, religious institutions, especially the idol of materialism among pastors and religious leaders, and all the pride and compromise that came with that. Eddie Hellison, a Dutch Jew, executed at the age of 29 in Auschwitz, 
stood up against hate and rage and fear in the midst of the chaos that was going on in Amsterdam. She'd watch her neighbors disappear, get, uh, uh, you know, arrested by the Reich and, and never see them again. She saw a, a professor at the university in Amsterdam shot down in cold blood simply for being Jewish. And she, this is what she wrote. Uh, instead of living an accidental life in these times, I feel deep down now that I've grown mature enough enough uh, mature enough to accept my destiny. And so I want to read something here that she writes. It's, it's hard for me to fathom this, but she, she really puts this into uh, good words. She says, instead of living an accidental life, I feel deep down that I've grown mature enough to accept my, my own destiny, mature enough to take my destiny upon myself. This is a great change from my life a year ago. I don't need to mess with mere survival. When I'm actually called now to be a voice of hope in the midst of all the meltdown that's going on. And so here she is. She's Jewish. And she's watching her Jewish friends disappear. And nobody knows yet about the camps, but she knows something's up. Something's wrong. And then there's a star. And then you can't ride bikes. And then you can't ride a bus. And then you can't walk on the streets. And then you have to be home before dark. And it's getting, her world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And people are getting more afraid and more angry and more tribal. And she says, enough! I will not stand here and be part of the problem filled with bitterness and rage and hate and just withdraw. I will be part of the solution. It's my destiny. Wow, that's courageous. Stand up, right? And by the way, when she says, I won't live an accidental life, an accidental life doesn't mean a life without goals like you're some kind of drifter. An accidental life means a life passively shaped by this world's values. That's what it means to live an accidental life. I mean, Paul said in Romans 12, look, don't, this is J.B. Phillips' translation, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't, don't passively adopt the values of the prevailing culture because I'm telling you, the values of the, uh, of the prevailing culture are dark. Rather, live a life intentionally shaped by listening for God's voice and allowing that voice to shape you. That's the meaning of uh, don't live an accidental life. But hear me, this kind of living requires a supernatural power. And so Ezekiel was empowered for this calling. He was able to stand up because the Spirit entered him. And I'm going to suggest here this morning, not just suggest, I'm going to tell you, you're empowered to stand up. Why? You have the Holy Spirit in you. But here's the question. Though you have the Holy Spirit in you, are you living by the power of the Holy Spirit? I mean, that's really the fundamental question. Because I can have the Spirit, but grieve the Spirit by continuing to resist what the Spirit is saying to me at any given moment. And then I end up living an accidental life rather than an intentional life. I end up being swept along because of attachments. Attachments to material comforts, prestige, position, power. And, 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 and these things are the undoing of God's people in Ezekiel's day. I mean, they're, they're, they're comfortable. And, and the prevailing uh, value system for them becomes this. At all costs, I to keep my comfort. I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, the musical Cabaret. Have you ever, anybody ever seen it? I mean, it's, I saw it at Fifth Avenue years ago. My daughter gave me tickets as a, as a birthday present. And I'm not a musical guy. Like, I, I'm a Seahawks guy, right? I mean, I love the symphony, but I don't love musicals particularly. 
But I will tell you, I w- I'm still haunted by the end of the first act at the Fifth Avenue the, the Cabaret. You know, you maybe know the song, Life is a Cabaret, da, 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 however it goes, right? So there's a cabaret, there's a musical, and it, everybody's singing, and then uh, what you see in the background through some smoke is a, is a, a bunch of Nazis goose-stepping and doing this, and then, and then you hear it, Heil Hitler! And then the curtain, this curtain falls down with a giant swastika, and people keep singing, Life's a Cabaret. <sighs> Shivers. It's like, do you understand? Like, hey, whatever, as long as I have my drinks and my coffee and my cable and my Seahawks and my clean air and my clean water, I'm fine. No, no you're not fine. You live in a world that's imploding, wake up, that's Ezekiel. And if I'm going to stand and be part of the solution, rather than sit and be part of the problem, I must have, must have the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 16 to 18, what does Paul say? He says, hey, my paraphrase, these are evil days. And because they're evil days, don't get drunk with wine. I mean, you need something. You need need a power greater than you. Don't make that power greater than you wine. Don't, don't go do your day. I know. Wine is very sad. <laughs> like, like, don't go do your day and, and come home and say, man, I had, a, I had a tough morning commute. I had eight hours of management meetings. I had a tough evening commute. I'm tired. It's hot. Pour me a beer and then another beer and then another beer and then another beer because I don't have the energy to, to, to do anything. My life is destroying me and I don't have what it takes to even love my spouse, let alone cross a social divide. Don't get drunk with wine. That's the text. But instead, what? In all of your tension, in all of your burnout, in all of your stress, in all of your living in the midst of a world imploding, be filled with the Spirit so that you can shine as light in the midst of darkness. That's this text. That's Ezekiel. Hey, Ezekiel, I know things are bad. I know your commute's hard. I know you live, by the wrong, I, you live on the wrong side of the river. I know. Stand up. Be part of the solution. How? Well, you know, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when the Spirit empowers you, hear me, you will stand up. You'll stand up to racism, materialism, sexism, nationalism, consumerism, environmental degradation. You'll step out into new callings of generosity, crossing social divides, be a part of the solution, and it will be because you've relinquished control, not to alcohol, to self-medicate, but to the Holy Spirit. You will be filled. You'll surrender the control of your life to an outside force, and John 3, that Holy Spirit will, will blow, and you'll go places you'd never otherwise have gone. Because that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The the Spirit is a wind, and it blows, and it takes you across the tracks, and it takes you across the country, and it takes you around the world, and there you will be changed even as you bless others. So if you feel like the world is falling apart, the first thing you need is the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's the only way you'll stand up and live into your calling. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if, if, you're, if you're grieving the Holy Spirit this morning, my exhortation to you is this. Look, if God has been saying something to you about your sex life or your money or you're self-medicating with alcohol or you're self-medicating with something else, look, it's time to repent and say, no, Jesus, the first thing I need is to be filled with you. That's the first thing. But it's not the only thing. You, Ezekiel, need not only to stand 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, but you need to be courageous. That's the second thing, courage invoked. Because he says here, I'm sending you to a people who are, verse 4, impudent and stubborn. And you're going to say to them, this is the word from God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, they will know that a prophet's been among them. So, he then says, verse uh, 6, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their words. Don't be afraid of their words. Again, verse 6, speak my words whether they hear or not. Don't be afraid. So Ezekiel, in the midst of disorder, remember order, disorder here. In the midst of disorder, Ezekiel is called to offer, first of all, interpretation. Why is my world falling apart? Why is our world falling apart? Second, he's offering exhortation, calling people back to uh, God. And third, he's offering hope. And understand, uh, Ezekiel does offer, he does offer hope. The prevailing phrase in Ezekiel, the, the phrase that occurs most often is, everyone will know that I am the Lord. I mean, at the end of the story, when there's reorder, everyone knows the character of God. So the book is actually filled with hope, though people don't understand that, and this is why very few people preach it. When I've told my friends uh, who don't attend here, a kind of ministry colleagues, yeah, we're preaching through Ezekiel this summer. People go, really? I mean, who does that? I go, well, you know, we do. <laughs> why? It's so depressing. I go, if you think it's depressing, you're not reading it. But the reason we think it's depressing, watch this, here's why we think it's depressing. Because or Order, disorder, reorder. Disor Listen, disorder, depressing. And, and I don't want to face my disorder. So we'll talk at the end about the challenge here of, of living and sitting with disorder long enough to get into, into reorder. But if I never face my disorder, I will never enter into my reorder. Does that make sense? Like if I stay in my sleeping bag all night in disorder, that I never had to face the comfort of going outside. But I also didn't pee, and I was cold all night, and then I didn't sleep. And so I wake up the next morning, and it's a new day, but I'm not a new person. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a grumpy guy because I didn't do the right thing when there was a moment of disorder. So, so I, I, I have to lean into the disorder. This is why people don't preach to Ezekiel. I think it's part of the reason anyway. So, so uh, if I'm going to critique the prevailing values of culture, guess what? People get angry. Uh, people come to church and we go, oh yeah, well, here we are, you know, we, we come, it's, I mean, it's climate controlled in here and we're cool and it's hot outside and there's, you know, flowers and a great guitar player up here and there's many weeks when the preaching is good and there's some weeks when Richard preaches and, you know, but we put up with it, whatever, it's all, you know, we come and this is what we do and we go home. Yeah, sure, I'll give, I'll tithe, I'll, I'll, I'll serve somewhere. Just don't mess with me. Don't mess with, look at, don't mess with my nationalism or my sexism or my racism or my consumerism or my individualism. Don't mess with me because if you mess with me, bam, I'm out of here. I'm just reading a book right now uh, on the hottest topic in the universe among evangelicals, which is same-sex marriage. 
And this guy, this pastor, he says, I've been a pastor for 40 years. I've been asked thousands of times about, what's your view on same-sex marriage? Thousands of times, that's what he says. He says, how many times in my 40 years of ministry has someone said to me, hey, uh, pastor, what's your view on greed? And here's his answer, zero. None. He says, that really bothers me. Because we Americans, who are X percent of the world, whatever is that tiny little percentage, are consuming a quarter of the world's resources. And maybe something's wrong with that. Maybe we need to be asking questions about consumerism and materialism. And maybe we need to be asking questions about nationalism and racism. But no, we don't want to ask any of those questions. We have this one question over here. Stop. That's what this guy said in his book. Like, don't mess with my nationalism, don't mess with my sexism, don't mess with my materialism, don't mess with my uh, individualism, let me, let me keep my, don't call me into accountability with anybody, don't call me into community, as long as my faith is personal and private and doesn't challenge my lifestyle, I'm good. Well, Ezekiel says, no, you're not. And Ezekiel says, not only no, you're not, but wake up, hello, we're in Babylon. <laughs> and it's, so everything that we think is working so well is not working that well. And so that, of course, is the problem. You, like, you might be good, but Jesus calls your faith in this kind of privatized community where, where we, like, we are unchallenged in, in the idols of our lives. If my idols are never challenged and I can come week after week after week and be in a community for years, for decades and never change, if that's me, then there's a problem because Ezekiel says, you think that's good? That's good for nothing. I mean, Jesus says it this way. If you're light, you're light so you can shine. If you're salt, you're salt so you can purify and, and, and season so you can go out of here and make a difference in the world. And if you are not shining, if you are not purified, then that's a problem. And here's how, our, here's how Ezekiel articulates it. If Jesus said salt that's lost is saltiness is good for nothing, Ezekiel says it this way. He says, look, Israel, I set you to be a light among the nations. My desire, this is God's heart, my desire is that your generosity, your justice, your mercy, your hope, your peace would be a light drawing everyone to Jehovah. <laughs> You're up here. All the nations flocking to Jehovah because of who you are. And instead, Ezekiel's assessment, literally, this is the phrase from Ezekiel, you're worse than the nations. So that, so that now the nations are saying, well, we don't know who the true God is. We don't know how to, how to live through this time of chaos, but we know one thing, man. The one God that we don't want to worship, Israel. And if that isn't hauntingly familiar to the reputation of evangelical Christianity in the United States in 2019, you're not paying attention, man. Nobody wants to be like us. And I'm speaking poetically. There's one or two somewhere. But do you understand how grievous this is to God? That God's intent for his community is that we would shine as light and instead we live in a world not because they hate God, but because they have an, innate, an, an innate sense that the world ought to be just and people are looking at the church and we're not providing answers. That's a problem. That's what Ezekiel's saying. And to say that, listen, requires courage. I'll just say it this way. Faith is costly. 
Like to really live into it is costly. In the 70s, um, when I was in my teens, down in Fresno, my uncle was a Presbyterian pastor. And don't miss here the, the point for the story, because the story I'm going to tell you is a bit political. But he, he became convinced in the 70s that the threat of nuclear proliferation was something that he as a pastor couldn't remain silent about. That we should stop building nuclear bombs, basically was what he thought. So no, there's no protests in Fresno. They just don't happen. We grow raisins there. That's all we do. <laughs> but so what he did is he drove them up to the Bay Area and participated in San Francisco in a, in a uh, nuclear war protest. I, this is my uncle at the time in his 50s. And he gets arrested because he won't uh, vacate Hyde Street or whatever, wherever they were in San Francisco. He just won't, he won't leave the street. He gets arrested. My, my pastor uncle gets arrested. I ought to tell you what, man. That, that kind of shook me up, right? Because I, asked a kind of, I kind of asked the question, is there anything that I would get arrested for? And then never mind arrested. Like, like what, what happened to Israel was they, they received the blessings of God and then they were like this. We love these blessings, man. And then, can this ring come off? If this is the blessings of God, here's Israel. Thanks. It's mine now. Yeah, but I, listen, I'm calling you actually to live with an open hand and, and freely share these blessings. No, no, no it's mine. And I can, so I kind of asked the question in light of my uncle, hey, you know what? Here's, like, am I willing to speak truth if speaking truth costs me my reputation? If I, am I willing to speak truth if speaking truth costs me prestige? Because let's be honest here, we're comfortable people. Most of us in the room are comfortable people. And if we're comfortable people and, and our comfort is risked by truth-telling, will we tell truth? And so when, when this guy quits his job because he says, I'm not going to build bombs anymore, would I do that? When this guy crosses a racial divide and, and uh, gets shot at, will I do that? When my uncle does a nuclear protest and gets arrested, will I do that? I don't know. I mean, I really like, I really like the prestige and the, and, the, and, the, and the comfort and even the quote-unquote you know, power of what I do. I, I mean, I go home to a half acre of woods with a hot tub in the mountains, and I come down here and I talk, and I go, wait a minute, are my hands open? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, am I willing to speak whatever God lays to me, and are we willing collectively to hear whatever God reveals so that we might be people of hope, even if it costs us? That's the question on the table. And, and if the blessings of God are something that we just kind of clench in our hands, they become idols. And then we become impotent spiritually. And that's the risk that we play. So, I need courage. You need courage. Just to do the right thing. That's all. Do the right thing. And the right thing doesn't always get you arrested. And the right thing doesn't always cause you to lose your prestige. And the right thing doesn't always cost you. But just do the right thing and don't worry about the results. God's calling you to do the right thing. 
And then here's the last thing. The truth has to be eaten. And this is pretty significant because here's, what, here's the way this shakes out, right? Um, eat the truth. There's a scroll that God hands Ezekiel. And it says, it says on the scroll were these words, lamentations, mourning, and woe. Now who wants to eat that? That's my version of broccoli. I'm not a broccoli fan. So it's like God is saying, here, here's a big, you know, big steaming plate of broccoli, Richard. Eat it. Lamentations morning. I don't want to, I don't want to eat that. I'm pretty, I'm actually pretty comfortable here. You see? But here's the thing. The, tr- the truth must first be absorbed by Ezekiel if he's going to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And the truth must first be absorbed by you if you're going to shine as light and function as salt on the like you have to receive what God has for you. This gal, Eddie Hellison, this is what she writes that speaks to that so powerfully, in my opinion. She's sitting in her, in her apartment in Amsterdam, and this is what you read. On Thursday evening, the war raged, raged right outside my window, 1941, right outside my window, and I lay there watching it all from my bed. Uh, in the other room, Bernard was playing Bach on the record player. Can you picture this? Brandon Burke concertos and bombs and machine guns. And, and it was so powerful and glowing. And there were planes and, and machine gun fire, noisier than it's been in a long time. And it went right on out, outside the house. And it came to me, this is happening all over the world. And Bach went on in the other room. And then this is what she says, uh, right in that moment something clicked for me and I realized that I have to stop hating my enemy and begin to deal with the rottenness in my own heart. This is what she said, until I deal with my own rottenness, I will never be part of God's redemptive solution in the world ever. And so, yeah, are bad things happening? Yes. Could I play the victim card? Yes. Will I? Here's Eddie. No. <laughs> I, can't, I can't fix that. I can only fix this. I have to eat the scroll. And here's the thing. The prospect of receiving pure truth is terrifying because it reveals just how, how far all of us are from God's ideal. And it undoes our world whether you're on the left or the right politically, whether you're communist, capitalist, whatever. I need to come clean about my addictions. I need to come clean about my disdain for the other. I need to face how my empty accumulation of wealth is is destructive in the lives of other people. I need to come clean about my individualism or my nationalism, my, my resistance to accountability. I need to come clean, and the thought of change or disruption or bringing my darkness into the light is terrifying. Here, eat the scroll. No, thanks. I prefer ice cream, not broccoli. I prefer, you know, prosperity gospel, not lamentations, mourning, and woe. What is this? I need a different church. <laughs> well, here's what's amazing. Ezekiel eats, and what does it say? I ate the scroll, and it became sweet as honey in my mouth. Oh, Interesting. By faith, in obedience to God, I ate my broccoli. And with the first bite, it actually tasted like a Trader Joe's coffee ice cream sandwich. (laughs) Who knew? Who knew? Order, disorder, reorder. Yeah, order. Our world is good. Disorder. I mean, we've talked about it collectively, socially, politically. But it's also true personally. 
Ordered disorder. Disorder. Ah, the doctor's report. Cancer. Disorder. Infidelity. Disorder. Divorce. Disorder. Challenge with our children. Disorder. Financial challenge. What happens when there's disorder? Either we remain in our disorder, bitter, playing the victim card, self-medicating in destructive ways, or with everything in us, we seek to go back to the previous order. Just wish it was 1955 again, you know? Wish it was yesterday before the automobile accident. Neither of those are healthy options. There's only one way to move forward, and that's what? Reorder. My world is reordered. How? By being filled with the Spirit and courageously following the Spirit wherever the Spirit leads me and internalizing the truth first in me so that I see I'm the one that needs fixing first. Then, having eaten the scroll, having been filled with the Spirit, having purpose to live courageously, I become part of God's solution, light in the midst of darkness, hope in the midst of despair, generosity in the midst of greed, courage in the midst of fear. That's my prayer for Bethany Community Church. Come what may. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, that Ezekiel guides us uh, in a manner that will enable us to be people of hope right now when everything is melting down all around us. Some, for some of us personally, for all of us collectively, would you, in this series as we give it to you, Shape us by the power of your spirit to be people of hope and we'll thank you for the fruit of it as we pray in Christ's name, amen.